Friends podcast. I'm your host, Katherine Singer. I'm a Christian writer and blogger living in the beautiful state of Alaska. I'm also a trauma survivor and a mental health advocate. I've been through some tough things in my life, and I'm sure you have too. Grace Moments is about helping you hold on to belief in your darkest hours, embrace hope by knowing your suffering is never wasted, and be inspired by the stories of others who have survived their own tragedy. Life, however difficult, can be a meaningful journey, and I'm here to walk it with you. So let's do this together. In November 2018, a 7.1 earthquake hit south-central Alaska, where I live. In what began as a regular morning, residents suddenly found themselves rocked by the strongest earthquake to hit the area since the infamous Good Friday earthquake of 1964. Buildings shook. Items on walls or in cupboards tumbled to the floor, shattering in an instant. People ducked under desks or tables as the earth rumbled and rolled for a couple of minutes. Amazingly, only 117 people were injured and no deaths occurred. Six minutes later, a 5.7 aftershock shook everything and everyone yet again. In the blink of an eye, life changed. Everyone's attention now shifted to safety, cleanup, and repair or rebuild efforts. Alaskans are used to earthquakes. We live in what is known as the Ring of Fire, a 25,000-mile horseshoe shaped in the basin of the Pacific Ocean, where close to 90% of the world's volcanoes and earthquakes occur. It starts at the tip of South America and extends all the way through Central America, up the west coast of the United States and western Canada, continues through south-central Alaska and out to the Aleutian Islands, extends past Japan and the Philippines, ending all the way down in New Zealand. It is massive to say the least, and we are smack dab in the middle of it. Smaller earthquakes are a frequent occurrence here, so Alaskans know how to ride them out. But this one was unlike any that had happened in over 50 years. I happened to be out of state at that time, visiting relatives for Thanksgiving. I was scheduled to fly home that day. When the friend that was going to leave my car at the airport texted me that there had been an earthquake, I didn't think much of it. After all, those happen all the time. But when other friends from across the U.S. began to text me and ask if my family and I were all right, I began to wonder if I should be taking this more seriously. I googled it on my phone and was shocked by the images I was seeing. Roads ripped in half, ceilings caved in, contents of people's homes spilled out on the floor, cracks in the sheetrock of walls, reports of gas shortages, Miles of traffic stuck for hours on the highway trying to get out of the city from work. Buildings were closed and boarded up in the town nearest my house as windows had been blown out. Some were even condemned, as inspectors deemed them uninhabitable. Friends back home said it looked like a ghost town the next day. In an instant, I knew my home state had just witnessed an historic and devastating event. While I wasn't home to directly experience it, I knew I was heading back to an entirely different situation than I'd left. Neighbors and friends might need help. A community would be in need of healing. With the airport shut down for a while back home to check for damage, I ended up staying a few extra days with my relatives before boarding a plane for Alaska. 
During that time, I was touched and inspired to see the response of my people back home. Stories of strangers helping each other out, neighbors offering to lend a hand with cleanup, folks taking the tragedy in stride, even as aftershocks continued to rock their world. Although it was way past construction season, crews immediately sprung into action to repair the damaged roads. Within the few days it took for me to catch another flight back home, I was surprised upon landing at the airport and making the drive home that things didn't look as bad as I thought. You could still see some of the devastation, but the resilience of Alaskans had already started to get life back on track as soon as possible. It was inspiring, to say the least. All this broken got me thinking in the weeks that followed that earthquakes don't always have to shake your physical world in order to be felt. Earthquakes of an internal sort rattle our lives all the time. It could be a financial crisis, the death of a loved one, a sudden diagnosis, a job or career change, the breakdown of a meaningful friendship, an unexpected move, a divorce, the shocking revelation of a relative's secret sin. Whatever the situation, there are countless things that happen in some form to all of us that threaten to tear apart our world as we've known it. They prove to be the reshaping of our soul's landscape. In the moment, it seems that this sudden upheaval can only result in further pain. It's almost impossible to imagine that this rearranging of your life could prove to be anything other than negative. How could things be better for having had so much destroyed in an instant? But God seems to view life's upheavals in a different light as explained by author Ken Geyer in his insightful book, Life as We Would Want It, Life as We Are Given It. Poetically and beautifully, he describes how our soul earthquakes prove to us, just as in nature, the limitations of our control. When sheer formations of rock are suddenly thrust through the surface of the earth, we are helpless to stop it, he says, helpless to control either its duration or its devastation. We're just as helpless when some tragedy devastates us. Upheavals come suddenly, unexpectedly, and often catastrophically, he continues. Whenever they come, however they come, they forever alter the settled terrain that once was our life. Embedded within us are the physical, spiritual, and psychological layers that make up our interior landscape. When upheavals come, they alter every layer with varying degrees of destruction that sometimes take a lifetime to unearth. Imagine for a moment that you are the landscape. The upheaval thrusts itself mercilessly through the very center of who you are. The abrading of granite, the crumbling of limestone, the crashing of boulders as they tumble around you, shattering to pieces. You feel all of that, every grinding moment of it. Your stomach drops, your head spins, and you watch in helpless horror as the innermost parts of your life lie on the surface, exposed to the elements. The deafening noise is the sound of upheaval as it forces its way through every stratified layer that lies within you. Your body, mind, emotions, all these layers are displaced. They are folded or pushed upward or thrust over each other. The social layers of your life are also shaken, and the spiritual layers that once seemed such bedrock certainties, they're shaken too. 
Geyer goes on to ask, who of us can survive the shock and aftershocks of such earth-shaking experiences? Who of us has the strength to sift through the emotional rubble of the resulting devastation? Who of us has the courage to face the future, where other upheavals may await us? Meanwhile, where is God in all of this? Didn't he see the upheaval coming? Couldn't he have prevented it, or at least warned us of it? Much the way pressure within the earth thrusts rock formations through its crust to create mountains, the seismic pressure of these unanswered questions creates sudden and sometimes terrifying upheavals in our faith. To this bare and broken rock God comes. There, the weathering grace of God begins its work, wearing granite into soil, planting wind-blown seeds into barren slopes, bringing life out of lifelessness, beauty out of ugliness. Season after season, the work continues. In time, God turns the most terrifying of eruptions into the most majestic of mountains, the most tragic of earthquakes into the most idyllic of landscapes. This is the unrelenting work of heaven to make everything beautiful in its time. Man, I love that quote. If this cycle of broken into beautiful is where God does his best work, then the inner earthquakes we encounter are somehow never without purpose. The shaking, however terrifying in the moment, is part of the reordering of your life that God mysteriously has deemed essential to the transformation of who you are. In much the same way as the 2018 earthquake here exposed flaws in the structural foundations of my community, life's tremors and upheavals showcase the weaknesses of our faith, allowing us to see that things may not have been as sound as we thought they were before. On the other hand, we also see the places which have held up well. And just like with the buildings in my area, having these things brought to our attention isn't necessarily a bad thing. Sometimes it takes something drastic to shake us out of our comfort zone and cause us to take stock of where we're at, to undergo an interior inspection. There's this house near where some friends of mine live that was directly in the path of where the big earthquake did its worst damage. Houses around this one area near the mountains underwent essentially a double whammy when the initial earthquake came. They got hit as it passed through, but then when it hit the mountains... It had nowhere to go, and basically reverberated backwards upon impact. Thus, houses in this area experienced a lot more damage than other places. This home near my friend's place was one of the worst to be hit. Almost immediately upon inspection, it was condemned and deemed uninhabitable. Nothing could be salvaged. Recently, it was demolished and the property was sold. There was nothing else to do but rebuild. And sometimes life's upheavals leave us with the same choice, too. We realize there is no repairing what is left, only tearing down and starting over. As we see the foundations of who we were and who we thought we were destroyed, it becomes clear that we cannot patch up what remains. God must enable us to begin again. And if that is the case, we can trust that what he will rebuild will be stronger and better than before if we let him do his work. From his perspective, sometimes the only way forward is to tear down what failed to hold up in the upheaval 
and to create a new spiritual structure that can endure for the long run. Initially, what may feel like an ending is actually the beginning of something better. Upon my return following that epic earthquake, I felt so many mixed emotions. Part of me was thankful to have been away, but the other part of me was sad to have missed a bit of state history. I was not born yet when the 1964 quake happened, of which I'd heard so much. I also felt a bit badly for not having been home to suffer with my fellow Alaskans during such a traumatic time. While I hadn't gone through the earthquake with them, I had experienced enough internal upheavals that I was glad to get home because I wanted to be there for all the people who were struggling emotionally, physically, and spiritually following this devastating event. My home, thankfully, is built on solid bedrock and didn't experience much damage in the quake. Others, however, didn't make it as well, leaving me with an opportunity to come around people in my community and my church who needed support. In the weeks that followed, we all continued to ride out multiple aftershocks a day, facing the challenges of post-earthquake life together. And I took away some vital lessons from that time that directly impact how I face the inner earthquakes of life when they hit. Number one, it's always better to be prepared than to be caught off guard. Life's upheavals are sure to come, regardless of what form they take. Nobody is immune to experiencing earth-shattering moments that forever reshape their soul's landscape and redefine how they see themselves, how they see God, and how they see life. But often, most of us haven't put ourselves in a position to properly be prepared for these events when they happen. After the 1964 earthquake, when so much damage occurred to the infrastructure of south-central Alaska, it changed how people did things. New codes were put into place that altered how homes and buildings were erected. People began to plan in the event another big one took place in the future. Assessing the damage in 2018, Many said the reason there wasn't more structural loss was because so many learned their lessons 50 years earlier. Because earthquakes are a reality here, and because of 1964, Alaskans were more prepared for when this latest one came. As people slowly cleaned up and put their lives back together, they reconsidered where they kept their valuable breakable items. Maybe not put stuff like that on shelves anymore, and maybe redo where certain types of things were stored. Life suddenly was seen through the lens of not if another one happens, but when. On my flight home following the earthquake, I ended up next to a man who worked for FEMA. He was an Alaska resident that had actually been down in California helping with the wildfire relief. Upon receiving the news about the earthquake in Alaska, he was sent back home to deal with the challenges facing his local area. What was amazing to me, however, is hearing him describe the fact that a couple weeks earlier, local city officials, military personnel, and FEMA had all held a simulated earthquake disaster response exercise in the event something massive like this ever happened. The simulated location turned out to be almost exactly where the epicenter of the actual earthquake was. God sovereignly allowed these leaders to walk through the procedures prior to the actual thing happening so that when it did hit weeks later, they knew exactly what to do. This man said that walkthrough was key in allowing for a clear and rapid response in the hours and days that followed. 
While nobody is completely ready for when life's unexpected tragedies hit, there are ways to prepare yourself so that you are the strongest you can be when they hit you. Having a proper understanding of the existence of hardship and a healthy theology of suffering. Knowing the heart and character of God. Having a good grasp of your own weakness and tendencies under pressure. Spending time in prayer and reading God's word. Building a strong community of support around yourself. All these are just a few of the ways you can equip your mind and soul to withstand the shaking that life throws your way. Especially in the New Testament, the Bible talks all the time about being prepared, often using either athletic references or battle references to illustrate spiritual truths. Whether speaking of training with discipline as a runner prepares to race, or putting on the full armor of God, Scripture is clear that you're far more likely to crumble under life's upheavals when you haven't properly prepared yourself for disaster. Interior earthquakes are a great way to quickly find out how strong or how shallow your faith really is, and while you can't predict when and how they'll come, you can ready yourself in the calm times to ride out the seasons of upheaval when they hit. Number two, don't play the victim. As news of the 2018 earthquake spread, people were amazed at the resilience and surprisingly quick rebound of Alaskans. What normally would take weeks or months to deal with was already being addressed within hours afterward. It was the middle of winter, so everyone knew power had to be restored, gas had to be available, roads had to be fixed as soon as possible. People needed to be able to function, so whatever had to be done should be tackled quickly and efficiently. Construction season long over, crews were still assembled rapidly and equipment pulled out of winterization so that roads could be repaired. Red tape was expedited so damaged buildings and infrastructure could be addressed right away. Alaskans got to work. They didn't sit around waiting for someone to come help them and deal with the situation. They just began dusting themselves off and handling the problems. Even by the time I arrived home about a week after the quake, things didn't look as terrible as I expected. The resident response of Alaskans was inspiring and made me proud to be where I'm from. Nobody played victim to their circumstances. They just got up and got busy trying to get life back to normal as soon as possible for everyone. When life's upheavals hit, you certainly need to take time to grieve what you've lost and gather yourself a bit after what has happened. But you can't remain stuck in the situation forever. You can't while away your days wishing the situation was different or blaming others for the way things are. As unexpected and random and unfortunate as the circumstances may seem, playing the victim role does nothing but deepen your suffering. There's a way to mourn, to pick your way through the rubble with a level of acceptance and hope that doesn't keep you down for the rest of your life. While all the emotions you feel about the situation and all the thoughts you have are totally valid, there also comes a time when you must pick yourself up and get to work. The restoring process can't take place unless you're willing to roll up your sleeves and stop being in denial. The sooner you're willing to accept what happened, the sooner you'll begin to find a way forward. Number three, be realistic about what's truly important. People lost a lot of stuff in that earthquake. My family was blessed in that we didn't lose anything breakable or important. 
but many others weren't so fortunate. Fragile items tumbled from cabinets and cupboards, leaving a sea of shards on the floor. One acquaintance of mine said his wife lost her treasured collection of antique china mugs that was sitting on a shelf in their house. All but one mug fell to their demise on the floor. Other friends said they lost most of their wedding china set. Some folks even lost their homes. But even with having so much cleanup and losing so many things, I kept hearing people say over and over, but it's just stuff. Everyone is all right, and that's what's important. Considering the magnitude of the quake, it is incredible to realize that not a single person died that day. Some were injured, but not life-threateningly so. We all knew that was a miracle. Stuff could be replaced, but not people. So the fact that everybody was okay gave perspective to the loss. In times of prosperity and comfort, we are often apt to forget what truly is important. Fixating on less essential things and losing our view of what matters most, but when life shakes you to the core, suddenly things become extremely clear as far as what counts. Relationships, faith, and community take priority, and all the other things that normally eat up one's time and energy immediately fall to the bottom of the list. One benefit of going through hard times is that you are reminded of the essential things that really make up a life. All the other things that grab for your attention, money, work, school, activities, they all are suddenly of less importance than telling a friend or relative that you love them, being grateful for the gift of your life, appreciating the blessing of community, holding on to your faith. You realize that these are the things you should be placing priority on all the time, and not just when life is difficult. Number four, don't be afraid to willingly show up in someone else's mess. After the initial earthquake hit, everyone was in some state of shock and upheaval. Inside and out, everything was an instant mess. People found cracks in the pavement of their driveways, cracks in the sheetrock of their walls or the tile in their bathrooms, Things hanging on walls or contents in cupboards or cabinets now lay in shambles and shards. One friend of mine pretty much lost all their kitchen dishes from their cupboards as broken pieces mixed with broken bottles of olive oil or maple syrup on the floor. With rare exceptions, everyone's home was a wreck in some way. But something neat happened in the midst of all of this. As people posted photos on social media of the chaos, and the monumental cleanup that lay ahead, helpers began to arrive out of nowhere to assist one another in the recovery process. Neighbors knocked on doors of neighbors they didn't know and offered to help. People whose homes weren't as badly affected got in cars and drove to certain places to offer their assistance to strangers hit worse than them. Nobody was afraid to enter into someone else's mess in order to make the cleanup go by easier. Most of them didn't need to do this. Nobody asked them to. But they showed up because they wanted to. Because they cared. Internal earthquakes can be equally as devastating, yet often it's harder to show up and enter someone's inner mess than it is to simply bring a broom and a pair of willing hands to sweep up glass shards after a literal one. Coming to help somebody clean up a physical mess takes far less emotional investment than trying to help them sort out an internal one. And so we're often less quick to make ourselves available to them when we're actually just as needed in a less perceptive way.
Dealing with any life upheaval can be overwhelming. Just as the devastation left Alaska residents reeling from the earthquake's impact, sometimes things fall apart so badly that you honestly don't know where to even start trying to put your life back together again. You're not sure it can be put back together again. You know it won't be the same because you've lost some irreplaceable things along the way. But the effort of trying to sort through the mess and figure out a way forward seems nearly impossible. I've been there many times myself. It is at this point that the unasked but perceptive and loving presence of a helper showing up can mean the world. To know that someone else can assist you in going through the loss and the mess with you so that you're not alone. Perhaps even to take over for a bit and figure out a plan forward while you're out of it too much to think for yourself. Love isn't afraid to enter broken places, and what sets the truly selfless ones apart is their willingness to go into messes others are too afraid to enter. When most shy away, the loving ones step in and offer their hearts and their hands as those of Jesus himself, happy to serve and be a safe place for someone when their life has been rocked. When you heartily do so, they will forever thank you. It's easy to love one another at our best when things are going well, but it's more powerful to do so when everything has fallen apart. After all, that's what Jesus does time and time again for us. Number five, believe things will eventually stop shaking. Until then, hold on. For months following the 2018 earthquake, the ground continued to rumble. Aftershock after aftershock kept shaking, rattling our lives multiple times a day. Alaska averages over 100 earthquakes per day, most of which are too small to be felt. But after the initial 7.1 quake that year, as many as 5,000 aftershocks were being registered every day, quite a few of which could be felt. It was nothing uncommon to be awakened by one from your sleep or suddenly feel the earth rumbling while in church or going about your day at home. Everyone got used to the aftershocks after a while, and it almost became a strangely funny guessing game as we tried to estimate the magnitude of them. Scientists said that the frequency of the aftershocks would dissipate over time, but could last as long as a couple of years after the major earthquake until Alaska was back down to its normal daily average of earthquakes, they could still consider the aftershocks as being active. We all knew the shaking would eventually stop and things would calm once again, but there was nothing we could do to hasten that time except to ride it out. Being patient and finding a way to hold on was the only option. Sometimes life is like that too. Even once the initial upheaval has passed, the ground beneath your feet continues to shake and rattle. Emotional, spiritual, and mental aftershocks keep on upending you, giving you little ability to relax or be comfortable. In an unexpected series of events that you likely didn't ask for, you find yourself trying to cope with the ongoing uncertainty and instability of it all. Even if you know and continue to tell yourself that your world will stop shaking at some point, Sometimes it's hard to believe that it's true when things just keep moving underneath you. It can be difficult to find a place of peace when the noise and the shifting of your life continues. Like the residents here in Alaska at that time, 
You have to keep reminding yourself that the shaking will end eventually. You have to believe that the ground will become still once again. But until that happens, you need to find a firm place to plant yourself as best you can, and you need to hold on until the aftershocks cease. You have to trust that God will keep you in His care, and that in Him there is peace and security even when everything around you continues to rattle and roll. By clinging to Him and His Word, by fixing your eyes and your mind on the unchangeable truth of His promises, by seeking out the support of others who can encourage and uplift you, by finding a way to settle in for the ride, hard as it may be, you can maintain faith and find peace in the midst of the upheaval you are facing. As with earthquakes, we are often unable to predict or prevent situations in life that shake us to our core. We rarely see it coming and feel powerless to stop it once it hits. As Ken Geyer noted earlier, upheavals in life prove to us how little in control we actually are in this life. And as much as we love to avoid or end the internal tremors of the soul, those very experiences help to reshape the landscape of our hearts and remake us into the people God intends for us to be. As painful, traumatic, and difficult as they may be, they serve a purpose in the ultimate plan of God for our lives. In the moment, it may be hard to remember the redemptive element to the internal upheavals we face, but in time, as we witness the cycle of restoration play itself out in our lives, we are reminded that the weathering grace of God is never absent. It may take a while for us to see it at work, but it will come. And when it does, we will watch the devastation be turned into something meaningful, and the inner earthquakes that initially seem to turn our souls into an utter wasteland will be the very things God uses to purify, strengthen, and transform us into something beautiful for Him. Thanks so much for listening. If you liked what you heard on today's episode, please subscribe to this podcast as well as leave a review. If you want to read additional content, please visit and subscribe to my blog at www.graceopens.blogspot.com. You can also connect with me on social media via Twitter at Open to Grace 2015, Instagram and Parlor at Open to Grace Alaska, and on MeWe under my name, Katherine Singer. I'll see you in the next episode, and remember, Grace will always meet you where you are. Thank you.